or what I thought was really fun and cool was recognizing what glassware goes best with like the cocktail. And I think maybe that's like kind of what caught my eye and made me like really start to pay attention because a cocktail doesn't look good in a certain glassware or it's like it doesn't really shine. Right? It doesn't really appeal as well as you would like it to. Hey there, and welcome back to the podcast. So glad you're here. You know, I was in Seattle a couple of weeks back on business, and I went into this restaurant with my business partner, and I met a bartender there, but bartender does not do him justice. He is actually a professional mixologist, and we had such a great time, and you know, the cocktails were curated based on him asking us questions about what we liked and what our tastes were. And they were spectacular in presentation and flavor profile. And I suddenly realized, you know, this is a guest that I have to introduce on the podcast because there is so much opportunity. Um, if you have a bar, it is so profitable and curating a specialty cocktail list is a huge competitive advantage. So I'd like to introduce Mr. Andy Rodriguez, professional mixologist in this week's episode. So stay tuned. Thanks also to the sponsors this week, Works, Smithfield Culinary, Pop Menu, and Zinch. Now, on with the episode. You're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars Podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. At Smithfield, they know that to meet lovers, a great serving of their favorite cut is so much more than just food. It's an experience, one that keeps them coming back to your operation again and again. They're committed to offering you the perfect protein for every dish at each day part. Turn to Smithfield for the most comprehensive portfolio of pork products, such as bacon, ham, sausage, and more, plus a variety of fully cooked beef and chicken. With Smithfield products, you can create delicious meals from traditional menu items to globally inspired dishes, all designed to satisfy the insatiable appetites of your hungry carnivorous patrons. What's more, Smithfield does it responsibly, with full transparency and traceability from their farms to your kitchen. You can always be confident that when you partner with Smithfield, you'll serve what you love and your customers will love what you serve. Find your perfect protein with Smithfield. For more information or to order products, visit smithfieldculinary.com slash smithfield. Rockstars, restaurants have been hit hard the last few years, which means restaurant owners and staff are working harder than ever. Trying to meet the demands of in-person hospitality can be really demanding, which is why I recommend Pot Menu Answering. Pop Menu Answering turns every phone call into an opportunity. It uses artificial intelligence to answer the simple questions that are tying up your phone lines, like, can I make a reservation? Or, where are you located? And over 50% of restaurant guests are happy to have their questions answered by an automated system. Within the Pop Menu platform, you can customize answers for your restaurant and choose the voice your guests hear, and even send follow-up links via text message. Pop Menu Answering picks up your phone 24-7, 365 days a year, allowing you and your team to focus on what matters most, pleasing your guests. Prevent lost customers and impress your guests with Pop Menu Answering. And for a limited time, my listeners can get $100 off their first month, 
plus lock in one unchanging monthly rate at popmenu.com forward slash rockstars. Go now to get $100 off your first month and learn more about PopMenu's full collection of tools at popmenu.com forward slash rockstars. Rock on. Hey, welcome back. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Andy, thank you. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me, Roger. Fantastic. Well, you know, you are like the bar guru, and I would consider you to be the master mixologist. And there's so much importance and and just the creativity and everything that goes into a strong beverage program. And you're like totally at the heart of that. So I think it's so appropriate to our audience because right now, you know, creating and curating a, a beautiful cocktail list, not just having a bar, but really putting all this amazing stuff forward is so important. And that's what you do. So I know we're going to get all into that. <laughs> Most definitely. Especially when creating cocktails, I can see us having a lengthy conversation about that. It's always fun to the process of doing that and whatnot. <laughs> so it's always interesting to our audience and to myself, how people get into this hospitality business. Everyone's got their backstory and how it first struck them either at a young age or as a young person, or even later in life, it comes to you at different times. Why don't you tell us your story? Uh, well, I think, I, I think cocktails have always been somewhat associated. I think like Growing up, you know, your, your parents always have their, their cocktail of choice when it's dinner time, right? My in my family it was the Manhattan, so a very simple classic cocktail. Uh, and so I, I I learned a lot of that, and that's probably to be honest, probably one of the first cocktails I learned because it's the family cocktail of choice during dinner. But I think uh, I think the passion really built through just overall interest. You know, you you, you get a, a a little bit of like, oh, okay it's a drink here, a drink there, but then it turns into something different if you're mixing a few different flavors. And I think uh, I didn't really fully appreciate that for a while, but finally, like once I actually got into the hospitality industry through New York and seeing more detail, like on how cocktails were created, how they came out looking and how guests received them was even more like kind of an awakening moment. And so I kind of, I, I kind of, I don't know how to really, put it into words it's harder to really describe how you like get into it you know what's well, interesting kinda... is you moved to new york city and i'm kind of curious because mm -hmm. as i understand you grew up in cheyenne wyoming so what brought you to new york for the first because that's quite a move right and and uh, were you young at that time like how young were you when you moved from wyoming so i mean from wyoming i actually moved from wyoming to seattle washington when i was 14 okay first um, to seattle and yep. Yeah, first to Seattle, and, and that's just because I had a lot of my mom's side of the family over here in uh, Washington. Gotcha. Um, and for New York, it was like more of okay, I, I'm I'm I just turned twenty when I was a, well, a little over twenty. I was already visiting some my family uh, in Ohio, and uh, just kind of was like I've been wanting to go to New York, and I've been saying it for like the past couple of years, and then all of a sudden. It was, Let's, let's just go to New York. Let's just book a Greyhound and go to New York, find an Airbnb, and then we'll figure out rent from there. Yeah. Uh, uh, th thankfully, I had the support of my of my both my father and my mother back here in Washington, saying, "I mean, might as well just go for it." Like chase your dream. Yeah. Exactly. So, and I wanted to go there for a couple different reasons. Um, I, I was pursuing modeling at the time, so I was like, you know what? Let's try. Let's try my 
you know, just try my luck in New York. I mean, New York can be a very tough, tough market, but it's a lively city and I'm sure there's plenty of other things to do while I'm there. Uh, moved there and figured, hey, I mean, hospitality is the best way to do it. So I went to New York, got a job at a couple different places and, <laughs> and, and now we're here, but rent ended up catching up. So I moved back here to Washington. So, so I think you were a bar back, right? A bar back and a server. Uh, at mm-hmm. a and that- place. So did you get much exposure behind the bar as a bar back other than just in a support role? I mean, did they let you do anything besides, Hey, fill the ice and, you know, move us, you know, bring us a couple cases of bar bottles and all that, you know, that's a typical bar back thing. Yeah. And initially not so much just because I was still uh, under 21. I see. Um, and so yep. for liability reasons, they didn't want me to handle too many spirits, at least free pouring or doing anything along those lines. Um, but there, there were a select few bartenders that wouldn't regularly that I'd regularly work with. They'd be like, "Hey, actually, help out two other people here." So I'd get here and there experience, not really as much as some might want right in the beginning. But for like catering, it was at least from the events that we hosted, it felt like there was such a big rush to where, it, like you know, you when you go into a nightclub and you and you're trying to order a drink from a, a bar there. Yes. That's what I felt like a majority of the catering events that I worked were. They were that club type of scene. Yeah. Even though it was just like family members and or a wedding recital, a, a wedding reception or whatever it was, right? Most of the people were zooming in and kind of going it all all in. So it was like, okay, make a few two-step drinks, rum and coke, vodka soda, easy stuff. Not really anything elevated. Um, but yeah, most of my, most of my work was more support staff in that moment with little nibbits here and there helping guests when it's those busy moments. It wasn't, it wasn't more until at the, at this Greek restaurant that I worked at, that I actually started paying attention to more of the cocktails that the bartender there had put out. Um, and it's been so long that I I couldn't, I couldn't even give you a name or anything along, along those lines, but he, he paid attention to everything. You know, he had his little tongs and everything that he would put like certain garnishes on with cocktails. And so he'd pay attention to those certain details and made sure what I thought was important or what I thought was really fun and cool was recognizing what glassware goes best with like the cocktail. And I think maybe that's like kind of what caught my eye and made me like really start to pay attention because a cocktail doesn't look good in a certain glassware or it's like, it doesn't really shine, right? It doesn't really appeal as well as you would like it to. You're definitely like drinking touching wine on, in a solo cup. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely touching on something super, super important. It's like the choice yeah. of glassware accentuates the drink. It also brings out maybe the nuances, the flavors. Similar with wine, right? There's a, a certain type of wine glass that goes with a white or red. And obviously, exactly. a red wine glass is big and bulbous to let all the, you know, the, the flavors and it's typically out. tapered at the front, too. So you can get a nice nose. Yeah. So where wh- white wine, it's wide open because there's mm-hmm. not really much of a nose for white wine. Yeah, you so exactly. You don't want a <laughs> similar experience. So you obviously have so much more experience behind the bar. I was a bartender for a very short period of time. It was probably maybe a year. 
And, uh, you know, it was at a private country club and I was taught just like you said, the one step drinks. So if I made, you know, a Singapore sling or a Bacardi cocktail, that was elevated, yeah, you know? Exactly. Exactly. And the members, right. It's like the guys would come in for lunch off the golf course and mm -hmm. the drink of choice was something they called a skull buster, which was three shots of Burnett's English gin with one little onion popped in it. Mm -hmm. And they would have two of those things, and then they'd go hit the course again. It was like the thing, mm -hmm. right? And then on weekends, there were there were weddings that were obviously put – it was a big wedding place. And now it's all about speed. It's not about style or flair. It's just pump them out as fast as you can because there's a line, exactly. and there's three bartenders in a row, and you're just cranking out drinks. So – Yes, that is, you know, appropriate in certain situations, but mm -hmm. what's really important, like you're talking about is the craftsmanship and the flair and the proper glassware and, and just curating something. So let's talk about your passion and yeah. how that really developed and how you taught yourself all the stuff that you know now. And then we'll get into some of your other experiences at restaurants, but let's talk about how you developed the craft yeah. personally. Uh, well, I... Like you just said, like those, you know, simple one, two drinks, you know, started off there. I mean, that was obviously there as well with like families. That's kind of a, a small experience too. Cause you know, your grandma's drink, right? You got three fingers with a splash of diet yes. and, and you go from there, right? There you go. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but, and, and from there, once I started like really like playing around with that, then I stepped it up to, I really took it more as like a, a step by step. So like one, like one steps everything is neat or a shot two step we got a some type of mixer let's go to a three step we've got a negroni maybe an old-fashioned and and i really that's what i kind of did is i would buy just bottles of uh like mixers or additives and grab what i was drinking at the moment so i was drinking whiskey and a lot of um like cognacs when I first started like actually drinking because I prefer my dark spirits over anything. Mm -hmm. uh, and then I started kind of just doing different cocktails. I mean, you know, okay, I've got a Boulevardier, I've got a Manhattan, I've got, um, if you, if you want, if you're wanting to get like a little more culinary with it, we start into like the Enzonis or like the winter Enzonis where you muddle a little grape in there and it just gives you like this kind of sweet acidic flavor with everything else. Um, and I just started just grabbing different ingredients and started from there, like paper plane. And like, that's one of my favorite cocktails. I think like that's a very popular modern cocktail too. Can't say I've um, ever heard of it. What's in it. It's going to be, um, uh, bourbon, so Aperol, some bitters. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, you put like an Amaro in there, either like an Amaro, like Amaro Nonino, or if you're looking for like a little more of a bite, like Amaro Montenegro, um, is really nice. Or if you're just like, just depending on how you like it, you can just sell a different Amaro in there. But Amaro Montenegro is one of mine just because it gives it a little more like that bitey kind of bitter flavor that I gotcha. enjoy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then you do a little bit of lemon juice and give it a shake and serve it up. Done. You know, it's, it's like a perfect balance with a little bit of sweeter like bourbon. So I'll use like a Buffalo Trace or something along those lines, right? Just because it's a sweeter, not so much of a pungent bourbon and then i'll put all the other bitter bittersweet all that together and it puts together like once you shake it the bitters and the lemon juice they just put a nice froth on it so you get a lot of that lemon herbal zest right on the nose as soon as you like sip the cocktail so it's just a fun 
cocktail that requires a couple more ingredients. Oh, who's your buddy? <laughs> that, no, that's, that's cool. Walter. Hey, that's Walter. This is Walter. Come here. Shop dog. Hey, hey, Walter. Yeah. Awesome. Is, Mascot. He likes to say hello. So. Oh, he's cool. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, very cool. Now that's he's totally welcome on the podcast. Yeah, keep him okay. Here. You can, you you can hang on. You can hang. It's totally yeah, cool. That's okay. Awesome. But so, uh, so yeah, I'd pick up I'd I'd pick up a couple bottles like that because that's three four ingredients right off the bat, and that's how I kind of started building my little bar shelf to really play around with those adaptive ingredients. And I think that's really how I started to like evolve it. Um, I think the next year I started playing more with different different types of additives. So not just like Amaro's or vermouths or anything along those lines, but like aperitifs. So like there's a fun, uh, there's a fun brand that I, I think actually just recently went out of business, I think, but their, their name was Haas and they're like a local California aperitif company that would use botanicals from their farm. And they would just pick out these different things. They had like a nice rosé spritz type of, it was just nice low ABV that really worked if you were trying to mm-hmm. make like a spritz type cocktail, but then have like a different base. So I, I started playing around with like some rums or some like, uh, I did throw a vermouth with a, like a lemon citrus, their lem- one of their lemon citrus aperitifs to kind of brighten it up. So it turns like a sweet vermouth into like a slightly more like lily type of flavor. So you have that, you know, you still have that herbalness, but then it turns a little bit more floral and kind of sweet. So it was, it was it's fun to kind of play around with those different flavors. Um, and I've really kind of, from my personal palate, I've played it. I like to try to contrast flavors and just keep them like savory, bitter. And then you have like a touch of sweetness at the end or if it is sweet at the first, you're going to have like a very bitter ending in the back of your throat. That's just how I like to drink the cocktails. Cause I want, whenever I'm enjoying a cocktail, no matter what I'm eating, I want it to have some type of either compliment or contrast to the dish. And I feel like, I feel like that's just more the flavor aspect of it. You know, for restaurants, large costs can add up fast, broken kitchen appliances, roof leaks, overhead costs during a slow season. But the traditional loan process is too slow. You need to learn about Zinch, a direct lender that makes financing fast, simple, and built around your needs. If you're generating over $10,000 in monthly revenue and you've been in business over six months, Zinch can fund up to $250,000 in less than two days. Just fill out a simple online application, provide copies of recent bank statements, and you can get an approval within 24 hours. See how much financing you can get with Zinch. Right now, Zinch is waiving application fees for my listeners. That's a $250 value. Go to financingthatworks.com. Once again, that's financingthatworks.com. Loans made or arranged pursuant to a California lender's law license. So that's a big part of what you do now because you like to pair food with a proper cocktail and curate an experience exactly. for a guest. And there's so much value to that. That is that is part of what we would call an amazing dining experience when someone is so knowledgeable that they not only recommend a food item, whether that be an appetizer, an entree or dessert, mm-hmm. but then they pair it with something that literally complements it. And someone taste that after they got a recommendation Mm -hmm. they decided to to try the recommendation and then when they love it 
you just you just created a guest for life. You built value into their experience, and that's true hospitality. You know, in my books. I mean, it, it's I love doing it's, that. It's honestly the my favorite thing, and it's mm-hmm. I don't think that's a feeling that I will ever not fully enjoy. Yeah. Whenever I hear a guest say, and a "Wow, great recommendation! Mm-hmm. Wow, great drink!" You know, and I t- and I'm and I'm honest with a lot of people. I tell them, I say, "Hey, like." be honest with me. I'm, you know, if you, if you don't like it for whatever reason, I won't know. And I can't fix it if I, if you don't tell me. So be straightforward. I think we can all, I think we could all manage and be fine with it. You know, I'm not going to Well, you know, that was my experience. Um, I'm going to let the audience know now that I met you literally um, in Bellevue, Washington, when I was Mm -hmm. visiting there just a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, my business partner and I walked into your restaurant because he knows you personally and he's like, Hey, we got to go meet this great guy, Andy. And he's a mixologist and blah, blah, blah. And I had no preconceived notions. And then we sat down and then you immediately like, irregardless of who I was with, it's like, you treated us like we were the most important people in the place, even though you were treating everyone mm-hmm. at your bar that way, you were treating everyone like they were a regular or local, but then you were literally making drink choices saying, what you know what do you like and and then you mm-hmm. here you go and then i i took pictures of it and i'm like wow these two cocktails look amazing like you don't even want to take a sip of it before you pull out your phone and take a picture of it because yeah, exactly it looked special you know and, and you gave us this amazing experience and that's really what it's all about so thank you for doing that and i'm really glad of i met course. you because now i want to share this passion that you have with our audience. And I want to talk about, you know, the importance of a beverage program and the importance mm-hmm. of curating maybe specialty cocktails, not just having a bar. If you have a bar and doing those one step drinks, taking it a notch up or even mm-hmm. 10 notches up and really delivering an experience. Cause that's, that's really what it's all about. It's, it is. Yeah, so, let's, uh, well, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, it's okay, Roger. <laughs> all right. Now nah, I'm tripping over my words here. So let's talk about some of your restaurant experiences after mm-hmm. you moved from, say, New York. Like you, you left New York and then you went back to Seattle. You mentioned you had family there, and then mm-hmm. you went to work for um, a large chain of restaurants. But one individual restaurant, I think it's called Joey. Was that your first experience back in Seattle, or did you work somewhere else first? Uh, I worked somewhere else first. I actually had came when I came back from New York. Um, as I as mentioned, rented started catching up, and I so like I said, moved back to Washington because it was the safer bet. Yeah, and I took a break from the hospitality industry and ended up actually working at kind of uh, um, at a, at a car dealership actually locally here in, in Seattle. And I just I did that because I needed to find something quick, easy. That way, it's jumping from one state to another, and I have a decent transition. Yeah, you know, I don't I, get I, that. I don't have. I don't have to wait for the hiring dates and all of that. Uh, ended up going a little bit longer in the, in the car dealership than I wanted, but I was still doing some bartending on the side and still like, playing around with spirits and different cocktails at home, making them for friends, family, even doing like if somebody was, ha- if a, a family member was having like a, like a small little wine event or something like that and bartend for them or do, create certain cocktails off of their, whatever they have around. The Manhattan. Sure. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it took me a minute, but and then I decided, like, you know, I'm kind of tired of my commute. I know that there's a restaurant right down the street from where I'm living. Why don't I, you know, go apply? It's, I think it's about time to get back into it. I think it'd be a lot easier 
Um, I, at the time too, I was even uh, getting into a real estate for a little bit. And so I was like, this would be a good opportunity for me to network in a way. Uh, if I have time, I can communicate with my guests in a certain way. Uh, it was a lot busier at this at, at, the, at Joey than I anticipated it to be. So it wasn't the best place for networking. Because it's like, who who wants to say, hey, how's it going? You want to talk about real estate? Wait, I'll be right back. You know? <laughs> gotcha. So, <laughs> so it, it wasn't the best, but it it did turn into more of like focusing on the cocktails. And that's where I got to have more fun with that. Um, play a little bit more with the inventory that they had there. And they had a little more access to certain things. Um or at least readily available things for like syrups and or like batch making things than I would as an individual, at least, you know, price wise. Um, so, I mean, it, it was, it was fun to be able to mix in with a different type of spirits or to learn different things from guests that would come in from there. Cause I didn't really get as much of an opportunity to talk to guests about their drinks and certain experiences when I was in New York. Because, I mean, I would, I would talk to the guests, but I really never spoke with the guests or entertained with the guests. So this was probably my my first one-on-one, more personal um, experience with the guests, I guess. I was before, it was more Kate. When, I, when I stopped in at Castillo, I mean, we walked around the downtown area of Bellevue, Washington. I had never been, and again, I had no idea what to expect, but it was very cosmopolitan, you know, lots of skyscrapers, really up to the minute mm-hmm. buildings, lots of new buildings going up, really dynamic, vibrant restaurant scene, all centered around this downtown area. And we went to several places after Castillo. And, you know, it just struck me as a very upscale, sophisticated place where, you know, the guests have an expectation of hospitality and Mm -hmm. they're looking for something more. And whether you have a restaurant in small town America or in the biggest cities in the world, it's like, it's not just delivering food and drink, it's delivering an experience, you know? And, and that's clearly what we got, no matter where we went, it was like, you could, you could tell that training was very, very important and that the people were professionals wherever we went, whether that was their lifetime career or it was a stop on somewhere else. Clearly Mm -hmm. the guest experience came first and everyone was treated like a very important person, no matter where we went. And that was certainly the case um, where we saw you, but yeah, it's like, that was so important. So we talked a little bit about you doing private events and stuff. And now you've got your own home bar set up and you experiment down there and you have friends over and you like, you do your thing for friends and family down in the, in the home bar. You even sent me some, a video of that, which is, which is really, really cool. And some photos, which I'm going to share with the audience of some of your cocktails. Have you sort of built this database of your own concoctions that you've created now? That's sort of a list of recipes and all that too. I have. Yeah. I've, I've got a, a few just like random, just mm-hmm. classics or twists off of classic cocktails that I've served the guests that they've either enjoyed or I've enjoyed. Um, my, I mean, the video of my home bar kind of shows what my home home shelf looks like, but there's a, there's a, something I didn't end up showing you my, but my fridge is basically the entire door of my fridge is filled with like syrups and yeah. yeah. Uh, my 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 vermouths that are open and all of that so it looks like it's truly a full-on bar um <laughs> definitely yeah i'm gonna say yeah 
So it's so interesting because the liquor industry is so highly competitive and there are so many mm -hmm. vodkas and there are so many spirits of all kinds. And, you know, every when I owned restaurants, it's like the, the reps would come in the door all the time trying to get you to try this product and bring it in and all this kind of stuff. And some liquors are really super hot and popular and they just fly off the shelf and people, you know, there's a buzz about them and then other mm -hmm. stuff will just sit there, you know, and mm -hmm. you don't need everything, but it's a real science and almost an art to figure out what do you absolutely need? And as for a while there, the big trend was like flavored vodkas and you could get any mm -hmm. kind of flavor from vanilla to raspberry to cinnamon to this, mm -hmm. that, and the next thing. And that's sort of not cream. so trendy anymore, right? Is it? Or no, is it not, not, like not so much. I mean, you still have, yeah. you still have a lot of guests that will, um, ask for flavored vodka shots or just like flavored, like some would say like fru-free yeah. drinks. Um, I think I think we can. I think it's gotten a little bit different to where people know that they can achieve a good flavor with a, a syrup rather than a uh, flavored vodka. I see. Um, just because I mean, at the, great on Absolute. I feel like Absolute flavors are great. Or there's even a few other small smaller brands that have like good flavors to them. But like it also gives away a certain flavor that doesn't do well. Uh, within other cocktails or with other ingredients, it gives it a different type of flavor profile. So I think at least from what I've noticed, what I've seen within at least the Bellevue community, uh, syrups are so easy to modify. You can make a simple syrup. That's an easy one-to-one -one ratio of sugar and water, right? And you can throw a vanilla bean in there and there's vanilla syrup. You can throw some tea bags. If you have like a, like a, a chamomile tea, you can throw a couple tea bags in the sir simple syrup, and then there's a chamomile infused simple syrup. And so there's a lot of things you can do uh, with infusions, and there's even really cool ways of just rapid infusion to the liquors themselves, to where you don't even really need to play with that. And I think a lot of people want to see those infusions. I know behind the bar that I'm currently at we have a couple different infusions as well as within our syrups as well and two of our spirits and some sometimes some of our guests see us like making those together and like what's that like oh this is actually our cocktail so that's part <laughs> of the showmanship too because you can display mm -hmm. something behind the bar guests can watch you making these things it's intriguing mm -hmm. to watch people want to try something new right so it's like a marketing mm -hmm. thing too in addition to delivering a really cool product so in terms of infusions Agreed. is it all just fruit or is it fruit and spice is it like what are some of the different infusions that you can do uh i mean it's i think the more the the more like classic ones that you would see are like the older sacrums that people would make um or just like the simple more fruity juicy muddled flavors um i'd say more and more you're seeing a lot more like culinary cocktails to where they're actually like working with the kitchen and using ingredients that the kitchen is already using. Uh, so like if you, if you like a pretty popular cocktail uh, that was, it was come up was called like a yellow number two, which is like mezcal, a little yellow chartreuse, uh, yellow bell pepper juice. Mm. And it's basically like a build of a margarita with a little bit of like some twists. Right. 
and the yellow pepper juice already acts sweet. So you, you, cause that's what the yellow pepper is. It's like the sweetest you can get out of the pepper. If I recall, right. Yeah. So right. you blend that down. It's already naturally sweet, but it's also very vegetal. So then it works with a mezcal, which is nice and, you know, smoky and earthy. And so as, as long as you can kind of accomplish that, like those flavors to combine, then it works. But I'm seeing a lot more and more culinary stuff for sure. How popular are people drinking things neat now? Like there are so many different types of liquors that are sipping spirits, you might say, like tequila mm-hmm. specifically. I don't know if it's per se the same for rums. You you would obviously know best, but I mean, is that really popular still? I, I mean, not doing shots mm-hmm. because, you know, party kids that go out to clubs and people do shots, but I'm talking about appreciating the nuances of a spirit for what it is and then comparing different tequilas. Try this mm-hmm. one, try that one. Can, you know, do you develop sort of a palate for things where you can taste like wines very clearly, but like mm-hmm. tequilas or vodkas or any of the things that people sip? It, does it I, take time to really figure out the nuances or is it evident? Um, it, 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 it can. I think for, at least for like my specific palate, I definitely notice certain nuances about certain alcohols. Um, and there definitely is like that market for like tequila and whiskey drinkers. I mean, they're the probably two popular like liquors of, you know, in, within the group of liquors that we can classify. Um, and it's, I think tequila right now is ever more growing right now than whiskey which which is good honestly and there's a lot of good tequilas out there but i think like so Alex, like for how i do it say i go, if i'm trying want to try like a new a new scotch whiskey or as of lately it's been more rums and sherries for me but if i want to try something new i want to do it i want to grab one uh, one single shot neat i want ice on the side and then if I don't have it on me, which I'll, I'll have like a little saline solution on me. So it's like a little, little bit of salt water, essentially, mm-hmm. and a little dropper bottle that I can drop in there. Or if I don't have that currently on me, or if the bar doesn't have any saline solution, I'll just ask for some simple table salt. And I'll, what I'll do is I'll drink it neat and just have a little sip, try it like that, try it with all the alcohol and all the ethanol going in and everything. And I get that full burn if there is a burn taste that i'll add a little bit on on the ice let that chill down try it chilled with a little dilution and then what i'll do is i'll take a little bit of the salt or saline and i'll put it on both and i'll try them both that way and that way i can try it and it kind of follows that like uh, the rule of tasting is like three sips before you like really say what you're tasting because each time, each sip, your palate's getting a different note every time. Because you can't process all the flavors at once, right? You've got to right. take that one yeah. sip. You've got to figure it out. See, oh, well, that one's got a little caramel, a little whatever in there. Take your second sip. and like, oh, there's a little more floral notes or whatever along those lines. And that's how I generally like to do it. Most, most people don't do it like that. I'm just a little over the top about it, unfortunately. Wow. I wouldn't say unfortunately, but I'm a little more over top than most people. But I, I, I do see some people asking for tequilas and, uh, that would ask for like an extra añejo or just an añejo on the rocks or even just like a reposado with a single ice cube. And then we're not talking like the gentleman's cube either, more just like a single little ice cube, just so it gets a little bit of dilution, but not like doesn't want it to be too cold. 
while you're on that subject um those people that you know are not terribly familiar with tequilas can you give us the difference between reposado and anejo and blanco tequilas and it's not just the color per se is it part of the Mm -hmm. process is it the flavorings that go into it the distillation like what gives you the differences between those three types of tequila so the it's the certain aging of the tequila itself Ah, so the blanc like blancos and if i remember right are basically straight out the still or up to like a year or two within Mm -hmm. the uh an aging still or within a like a barrel of some sort but keeping it blanco the reposado is going to be anywhere from like two to three years within a barrel depending on the depending on the tequila you know could be oak it could be a rum it could be a sherry cask that's always actually fun to find something with a sherry cask personally right um and then the añejo goes up from if i recall from like that five to seven years so depending on where you're going yeah and then you'll get more vanilla more oaky uh kind of those caramelized notes from the wood so similar to like how you would age whiskey and scotch and other bourbons um it's along those same lines Gotcha. Okay. So it's all about the aging, which often determines price, right? And exclusivity and all these things. I mean, that's all part of marketing with with liquor companies too. Yeah. It can. Because I know, so for like tequila, tequila and whiskey, it definitely does. But then for rums, it depends on the cask and where it's kind of from. Because you could have a a really nice 15-year-old rum but it's the fraction of a price of what a scotch or a tequila would be. Mm-hmm. And it's actually delicious, you know, and you're like, I would buy that again and go into it. Right. right. So that's, that's the kind of the perk about rums is that they're affordable. Um, and towards no matter what the aging is, I think there's even like a, there's a few like XO bottles that are like rum XO bottles that are under, under 150 bucks. Tourists, if you were looking for, like, say, for example, the Don Julio 1942, right? It's the mo- one of the more popular, fast-going, everybody knows it, tequilas. For a bottle of that, you're paying 180 at least. And it's, you know, it's all right tequila. There, there are better tequilas, but it's a good tequila for the most part, right? Mm-hmm. Restaurant owners and managers, listen, it's not too late to claim your employer retention credit, but you have to act soon. If you haven't heard of this, your business can receive money back from the IRS, money you've already paid in payroll taxes. Nothing you do today is more important. Now, this is free and clear cash that your business is owed by the government. The ERC program is available if your operation had 500 employees or less, you had to shut down or partially suspend your business, or you had at least a 20% decrease in business due to COVID-19 during any quarter of 2020 and the first three quarters of 2021. Now, your business can get up to $7,000 per employee per quarter for 21 and up to $5,000 per employee in 2020. Now, if you have just 10 employees today and meet the requirements, you can receive up to $260,000 back in a refundable tax credit that you don't have to pay back. Now, the faster you apply, the quicker you get the money, but you must do it soon. You can use the money for any purpose, payroll, cost of goods, business improvement, or other 
expenses. Again, you don't have to pay this money back. Now, Works is a company that will do everything for you to get the money that you're owed. Now, I'm speaking from experience with Works. My restaurant received big checks in all available quarters, and Works people and process made it easy. For a no-obligation consultation, click the link in the show notes to this episode and speak to them with no obligation. You pay nothing until they get you the cash. Act now. Let's talk about beverage programs for a bar out there that wants to elevate their program. And I would say there's two ways to go. And you can probably add to this, but the first step, I think if I was starting a new restaurant or just up-leveling my bar would be to create a specialty cocktail list. That would be the first thing. And then you've already mentioned maybe the next step would be then starting to curate or pair things with the food. Can you give operators some specific advice on where they would start to you know, put together a specialty cocktail list that might stand apart from someone else's cocktail list, but isn't too difficult to execute just to get your feet wet and yeah. start moving into a program? Yeah. Um, I, I'd say first thing is what's, what's your restaurant's theme? You know, um, that, I think that's the big part. If you have a cocktail list that makes no sense or that doesn't cater to the theme of your restaurant, sure, uh, it, it, it makes it hard to connect with the guest and it doesn't sound as you know attractive to the guests when they're drinking you know um so it, it depends on there for, for an example the restaurant i'm at is a, is a tapas restaurant so i know that it's going to be more spaniard ingredients more spaniards prefer drier more savory flavors which works out for me because that's right. my flavor profile uh-huh. but at the same time, I, I also have to realize that not everybody is me. So I need to make sure I adjust those flavors to they aren't as dry or they have a little more sweetness towards it to where it can appeal to the mass. Right. Um, I, and even for example, right now uh, we are updating into our spring summer menu and I'm playing with uh, squid ink. Right. So I'm incorporating squid ink within the actual like simple. That is so interesting. That's yeah, unusual, so t- but interesting. It's it's unusual, but it's huh. uh, it's actually really good. Right? So what I Tell ended up doing that, yeah. is I I infused the the squid ink within the simple syrup itself to where it'll be sweet and savory. Because squid ink, if if you don't know, it provides that umame type of savory flavor. Can be a little can be a little fishy if you have a little too much of it, but it coats everything and just turns it black. And so what I've done is I infused, I put a little squid wow. ink with simple syrup yeah. and I've uh, basically made a rift on a Paloma, right? So a little grapefruit juice, tequila, lime juice, and then top it off with either squirt, which is the, the way you should do it, or Sprite if you don't have squirt. And uh, I, what I did instead is I put mezcal in there. So it gives it a little smoky earthiness. Uh-huh. I've got the squid ink in there, the grapefruit juice, and everything turns black. And then a little Campari to bring out those grapefruit flavors. Because you've got, a, uh, for Campari specifically, you have more grapefruit flavors than you do like orangey flavors. Say like Aperol is going to be more sweeter and you get more bitter orange rather than bitter tart grapefruit. Uh, you do that and it just all comes together and it comes out this beautiful kind of like hazy black almost as if it was like a dark kind of cloud covered in front of you right right and oh, wow. <laughs> and from and from there 
you take a sip and you're not really expecting this kind of refreshing, like fruity flavor, but you get a little bit of like this grapefruit, you get the bitterness from the Campari. And then the way I like to describe it is it's like, it's like you toasted, a, you know, you know, when you eat for breakfast, you cut a grapefruit in half. Mm-hmm. I love right? grapefruit. Yeah. Yeah. You cut it in half, you toasted it and you sprinkled a little salt on top. And that, that's, that's how I describe it. The gotcha. little smoked wow. grapefruit for breakfast is probably the best way I would describe it. Well, still, it's okay. So the flavors sound amazing. That sounds like something I wish I tried when I was behind your bar. <laughs> but then the color itself, like mm-hmm. it's going to catch people's attention. So now mm-hmm. it's not just the flavors of the drink you're making. It's like you want to turn people on to new experiences. And anyone within eyesight of what you're making sees this drink and it looks so unlike anything i've mm-hmm. seen before and or most people and then instantly it's what's that i want to try that you know so it almost sells itself and i remember when i was exactly. a bartender the old school stuff that kind of colored drinks was like grenadine and blue, blue curacao right exactly and you could turn something like you know mediterranean blue just by putting a splash of curacao in there but now there's so many other things that people do and that's part of the flair do you remember i'm sure you've seen this Maybe you're even young to remember it, but there was a Tom Cruise movie called Cocktail a long time ago. It was like an yeah. 80s movie, right? And it was all about that, you know, trick bartending where they're like, you know, mm-hmm. pouring shots behind their back in the, in the shakers mm-hmm. and they're throwing ice at each other and they're mixing stuff up. And it was all about the presentation and the flair. And I think Tom Cruise ended up owning his own bar at the end of that movie, right? Because it turned into There's- a huge career for him. Uh, well, yeah. If I recall, that's uh, pretty accurate. That he actually he actually worked along with bartenders as well, and then ended mm-hmm. up getting his own bar. Exactly. But there's been there's been many a times that I've had that reference to me. Oh, it and has, I've got a yeah. I've got a I've got to do a guy. freestyle of me shaking things up like he would. Right. And then you know do a little like oh here goes behind the back. That's and the just, show. You know, exactly so you do a little of that sometimes right do you still do some of that stuff just to like turn on the guests yeah like entertain them because it is entertainment after all it it is one of of my more common things that i like to do when i'm when i'm actually like bartending i actually will put the smaller tin i'll put ice in the large tin put the smaller tin on top of it put all the liquid in it and then i'll flip it the smaller tin in Mm-hmm. while all the liquid's in there yeah i mean and that's just keeping you know centrifugal force right to keep the liquid sure. in there yeah but right. i'll do that and some guests just like wait it'll be a little more like oh okay got got it and then i'll kind of do like a long like strain to where the liquid goes into the ice and give it a nice shake and then there's your cocktail but occasionally you'll see me doing that i don't do as much with this bar um but i used to at joey um, throw a lot more bottles around. Yeah. Um, there was a, there, we had a, a basic, basically a pyramid, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. And on one side there was a, was the well, and then there'd be like other bottles that I would need to get to. So I would reach across the well cause I'm, a, I was a lot taller and my long arms are a lot longer and I'd grab the top of the bottle and I'd toss it up and over to me. Nice. And so some guests at the bar top would see that and they'd be like, Whoa! like they'd be frightened because they were afraid the bottle is going to drop sure. down and yeah, right. shatter and make You're a huge mess. control though. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there was only a couple of times it knocked a couple bottles off. Only a couple. Nothing most of the time. Though. Most of the time it worked. Nine out of 10 times. Yeah. <laughs> 
let's so talk I mean, it, about, it was fun. Uh, let's talk about the next step. Okay, so let's just say, all right, the first step mm-hmm. for a bartender or someone you know that owns a bar or restaurant creates a specialty cocktail program. How difficult is it to start pairing things with food? Like it takes some expertise, doesn't it? It's it's an experiment or you work with someone like yourself who's an expert that can literally curate the list and, and help you work with a menu. And okay, I want to pair so many cocktails with certain food items and then present yeah. that as an experience to the guests. It's a challenging thing, isn't it? If you don't really it is. If it, 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 especially if you're not sure on like what your um like what route you're really wanting to go. Are you wanting cocktails that really pair well in like a contrasting way, or are you yeah. wanting them to be something complementary to where like, if you, how people would say white wine with fish, right? Okay. Yeah, of course. Similar, similar to that type of deal. I like a red wine with fish personally, cause I like that contrast. So what I like to do is I like to get together with the chef and then either one or two other people. And I say, what are some, what are some popular items that we are selling right now? And what are some things that we can do to like really kind of highlight that item more, but towards the drink. And so for instance, like the art with our, what we're calling our Paloma Negra is we have a squid ink paella. We have a squid ink, uh, um, a calamari uncin tinta, which is going to be cal- sautéed calamari within squid ink and seafood broth with, over coconut rice. That sounds so awesome. Like, those savory, we want to highlight and just have some squid ink item to gotcha. get that savory type of note, right? So using that as an example, that's that would be the best way. So what I'll do is I'll ask them, okay, are these items selling well? We like these. We see a lot of these people... A lot of our guests actually posting like our squidding on their Instagrams or wherever, right? So then we, okay, let's play around with it. Let's test it. And then I'll make one or two variations. We'll have something on the side with like a little squid ink on there and we'll taste it. We'll take a sip. We'll eat some. We'll just kind of play around with it and see how it looks, how the cocktail not only looks next to the food, but also tastes next to the food. Like if you... I, w- I wouldn't recommend dumping your food within your cocktail, but I mean, we want to try to make it as close to that as possible, you know? Um, so I think I, what I would recommend for sure is get two or three people that work within the same area or have the same type of responsibilities because also doing it by yourself allows it allows a lot more of kind of like a one-sided opinion of everything too. You want to, you want to make sure everybody likes it that has different flavors than just you. So like for, for me, I know that the chef, the chef and I have very similar taste palettes to where we like drier, more savory things. But I know a couple of our other management team members, they prefer the sweeter, the, the less, the, the less dry and the less floral, but they like that fruity type of drinks or those sweeter type of dishes maybe even like spicy instead of savory. So working with them and having that contrast and in, in, in taste and flavor helps you work together to kind of meet into a nice middle ground. Very cool. That That's awesome. So this is sort of a, 
you've been you've been a mixologist for quite some time and i'm sure you've seen so many different trends come and go so i'm curious how long trends generally last and then what's currently trending now like are, are people you know what i mean like people jump on sort of the bandwagon and like it's cool to be drinking this for the moment but then it shifts to mm -hmm. something else and that trend could go across the country you know like what's mm -hmm. trending and, and how long do these trends last? I mean, does anything really have legs and staying power? It's always popular. Like you mentioned Manhattan's yeah. that is the most classic of all Frank Sinatra type cocktails. Mm -hmm. right? And people will mm -hmm. still order that today, but I wouldn't say it's trendy per se. Right? No, that's like that. that's like a very classic, just kind of, you want something very simple. You know what you're going to get. It's straightforward. You know, I mean, even, even if, if you, if you don't know the story too behind it, man, you know, uh, Manhattan is simply the area code of Manhattan. So it's two, one, two, you know, and that's literally two ounces bourbon, one ounce vermouth, two dashes of bitters done. You've got your Manhattan. Um, but as far as like other trends, I, I think it's definitely, it, it depends on where, what area you're in. So it's uh, I'd say on different parts yeah, of the country have different trends. Exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. Like here in Washington, I think I see more and more tequila and just like whiskey drinkers than anything, um, as well as like more wine drinkers. Uh, you know, you want because Washington's got a great wine scene right now. Well, has had a great wine scene in general. But um, I know in Portland, like there's a big scene for sherry down in Portland. Actually, there's a pretty decent bar that has like over 120 different sherries down there so i mean it depends on like where you're going i think it really it really does depend on what you're looking for and what area you're in but i'd say from what i've seen and just kind of read up on yeah uh, it's still just that tequila those tequila drinks yeah. are really kind of coming up kind what is it i think i read something that that tequila is becoming more of a um preferred spirit than like vodka sodas just because it's it's less less calories in the long run of everything or less sugar and I'm like i'm not drinking two-step drinks like that though either sure of course and i actually can't drink i actually can't drink tequila too um uh, I'm, I'm actually allergic okay. <laughs> so well, that's too bad for you because i love yeah, it. <laughs> i know i know because there's there's great tequilas yeah, out there too right, I, can, right. I can give it i give it a little taste but it is what it is. hey let's go back to um, sherry for a second yeah sherry so, yeah Sherry, in my mind, is, again, one of those older classic drinks that may have been like an after drink type, after dinner type drink, right? Mm -hmm. Back in the 50s, maybe, or the 60s, and now it's sort of made a resurgence, and now people are drinking it anytime. It's not necessarily an after drink. I mean, I think the term used to be like aperitif or digestif, and it's like it was sort of a, a trend. You would have dinner, you might have wine with dinner or a cocktail mm -hmm. with dinner, and then you would have sort of an after dinner drink that was a series of different things that you could have. And exactly, is sherry a wine-based thing, like a port, or is it different? What is sherry? Exactly? It, it's it is similar to a port in a way. It's a fortified wine to where they okay. take yep. the, um, the the fermented product already that they're going to turn into wine, and they do a second distillation. Um, so they'll it, it makes it a lot last a lot longer. Um, it can bump up the the abv of it depending on what you're doing and how long you're making it 
But uh, yeah, people people aren't, aren't as familiar with sherry's anymore. I mean, most people when you hear sherry, you think cooking sherry. Yeah, right. and so yes, like, that's true. People, yeah, and cooking so like with the, that sort of thing. Exactly, and so when I mean, there's there's what there's like red wine vinegar sherry or, or something like that. Red sherry. And there's all kinds of different <laughs> sh- cooking sherries. And so if you ever ask somebody like, "Hey, have you ever had sherry?" Most people's face is like why would you drink that? Like that, that's disgusting. That's not what you're supposed to do. And then you go into it a little bit more and you're like, no, no, no. From Spain, it's, it's got a little bit different. So I play with Sherry in a way to where if I'm drinking Sherry, I pair it throughout the whole meal. And I, I start off with my more drier, less, less sweet and less, um, well, more floral type of, uh, uh, Sherry, so like a menthania, a menthia, or a, uh, I said that wrong, a manthania, manthania. There you go. That's the pronunciation. Right. There we go. That's the right, that's <laughs> right. right. Gotcha. And then, or a, or a fino sherry, which are typically like, they look like white wines and they're more floral, but they're extremely like savory and you get a lot of that maritime flavor out of that. So it's great for like, appetizers if you're eating olives it's if you're eating even just like a little bit of cheese it's like the perfect little pairing with it right and then you move into like your dry still in the dry selection but have a little more age on them so like i'm uh, an amontillado or a oloroso sherry those have a little bit more um barrel life in them so they have a little more almond and some nutty flavors and those are great to have with like your, your savory meats. So like even like just pork or if you get a little jamon, so like a little cured meat like that. Um, so I try to, I try to enjoy the sherry throughout the whole meal and make it more of a simple pairing rather than I'm going to enjoy my cocktail throughout my entire meal. Awesome. So, and then there are places that, so we offer a flight of vermouth, uh, either for a flight of vermouth or a flight of sherry. And, you know, depending on how you like it and each, either way is a good way. Cause in Spain, you, you're either drinking wine products such as like just regular red wine, as we know it, your sherry or vermouth. So that's going to be a lot sweeter and a lot more bitter and herbal yeah. than most would be. Um, and you can still have a lot of fun with those like dry vermouths and sweet vermouths in the same way that you can have it with your drier and sweeter uh, sherries. So it, it's, there's a lot to do with it. Or if you can, uh, big cocktails like the, like a calimoco or uh, a, a rebijito or those are both red wine. Like it's a red wine and Coke with a little bit of mint is a calimoco. And which, so you get that like bitterness from the red wine and then you get the sweetness from the Coke with a little refreshing mint. And so it's a nice kind of combination of flavors, bitter, sweet, refreshing, right? And then a Robojito is Fino Sherry. So the dry, one of the drier sherries, Sprite and mint. And you get this, like this, like this, like this, like that maritime saltiness. That umami flavor yeah. pairs so good with the s- sweet Sprite and a little bit of refreshing mint. And you're like, this is just not what you would expect from some most people or most things to drink. 
That's amazing. You've shared so much of the creativity and the professionalism and your expertise and your passion for spirits and cocktails. Um, you also do a little bit of consulting on the side. We'll help other restaurants or bars develop certain programs. Uh, can people reach out to you at, at Instagram and, and how how can they reach you? I'm going to put it also in, into the show notes so that if yeah. someone's interested, they can get uh, in touch with you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I definitely consult and then either, you know, menu creations or drink creations. Um, and people can reach out to me through Instagram currently uh, at Andrew underscore a underscore Rodriguez. Uh, and you can just send me a DM and I can nice. look it over and see what we're working with and communicate further there. Um, but I'm always excited to help out with people and see what we're working with or seeing what they want to bring to their menu. I think that's a, a fun experience and it gets, it, it, especially if your, your menu is a little bit older, uh, it gets your team excited too. Cause you're like, Oh, cool. New things to build. And it allows, they have that passion and allows them to build. So I'm definitely open for people to reach out for me there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for sharing that knowledge and yeah. passion, enthusiasm that you have for great cocktails. And again, I so enjoyed my experience meeting you face to face, having you curate some really cool custom crafted cocktails for us and that whole experience. So I'm glad we met and I had to share this because yeah, I mean, it's so it's so important right now, not just to deliver amazing food, but to to pair it with amazing beverages and just to deliver experiences. And that's clearly what, what you're into doing. So thanks for being with us. Yeah, of course. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Roger. Well, thanks to our audience for tuning in. Thank you to our sponsors. I hope everyone stays well. That was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. We can't wait to see you in the next episode. So please stay tuned. Andy, thanks so much for joining us on the podcast. I count you as a new friend and you introduced me to a whole world of bar and curating cocktails and all the specialty knowledge that goes with it. And I'm a fan. So thanks for being with us. Thanks also to our sponsors. And I wanted to tell our audience a little bit about the Restaurant Rockstars Academy. You know, the Academy is for you if you're starting your very first restaurant or you just want to maximize your opportunities and the profits in an existing restaurant. It's at a absolute value price, monthly at $59, and it includes a series of systems that'll help you run a stronger, more profitable operation. So be free to check that out at restaurantrockstars.com. And I can't wait to see you in the next episode. People go to restaurants for lots of reasons. For fun, celebration, for family, for lifestyle. What the customer doesn't know is the thousands of details it takes to run a great restaurant. This is a high-risk, high-fail business. It's hard to find great staff. Costs are rising and profits are disappearing. It's a treacherous road and smart operators need a professional guide. I'm Roger. I've started many highly successful, high-profit restaurants that I've now sold for millions of dollars. I'm passionate about helping other owners and managers not just succeed, but knock it out of the park. I created a game-changing system, and it's filled with everything I've learned in over 20 years running super profitable, super fun restaurants. Everything from creating high-profit menu items and cost controls to staff training where your teams serve and sell, to marketing hooks, money maximizing tips, and efficiencies across your operation. What does this mean to you? More money to invest in your restaurant, to hire a management team, time freedom, and peace of mind. You don't just want to run a restaurant, you want to dominate your competition and create a lasting legacy. 
Join the Academy and I'll show you how it's done. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.